Luke chapter 13 this morning. Luke chapter 13 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you somewhere there in the chair in front of you. I encourage you to pick that up. Luke chapter 13, we'll start reading in verse number 6. I want to think today on a topic that I think appropriate for the new year. Spared for one more year. Luke chapter 13. Verse number 6, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that cut it down. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray, Father, that you would uh, take control of these next few minutes. There's not a word I can say, Lord, that can change hearts. Only you can change hearts. Only you can take this word and drive it home to us like an arrow from your quiver. So I pray today you do that. Lord, if there are those here today who are procrastinating about some of these things, I pray, Lord, that you'll, uh, you'll show them that. There are those who need to say thank you for some of these things. I pray that you'll show them that. Fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to say exactly what needs to be said. And help me, Lord, to say nothing else. I pray today, Father, that your wisdom would guide this, this next few minutes. And that your Holy Spirit would be the preacher. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we have another one of Jesus' absolutely amazing parables. Jesus could cram more truth to just a few words of a simple story like this than most of us can fit in a library. Every word of this parable drips truth. Every sentence convicts. At least it ought to convict if we have ears to hear. Consider. Consider that the certain man in this parable is God. And the keeper of the vineyard is the Savior. Now, it's possible, I suppose, it could be the Holy Spirit, but I believe it's the Savior. And then that leaves the fig tree, the fig tree itself. Who is the fig tree? Usually in Scripture, a fig tree refers to the nation of Israel or the people of Israel, and that would work here, that would, that would fit here. But I think that the application needs to be broadened here. I think Jesus was speaking more broadly in this particular case. Even though everything here applies to the Jewish people, and, and that, that could be correct, I think that on this last day of 2017, we need to think of it more broadly, and I think we need to recognize the fig tree as you. Fig tree is me. And so God created and established you and me. He provided for our needs and sustenance and growth, expecting fruit in return. And after sufficient time had passed, he came looking for fruit from our lives. And when he found none, his sense of perfect justice surfaced, and he gave orders to cut it down, destroy the fig tree. But Jesus, and that's always the way it is, isn't it? But Jesus spoke up and said, give that fig tree just one more year. Let me work on it. If after that it's still fruitless, then it can be cut down. Every one of us ought to read this parable every New Year's about this time. We ought to, we ought to have that phrase, uh, let it alone this year also underlined and circled in our Bibles. And even better than that, we might want to take it right in the margin of our Bible. 
Uh, the NIV translation of that phrase, which is, Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it. One more year. One more year. All of us know somebody, or maybe more than one somebody, who didn't make it through 2017. There have been way too many funerals this year. Probably not a person in this room hasn't been touched in some way by one. Way too many we loved and cared for in 2017 are today in either heaven or in hell when not that long ago this past year they were right with us, sitting around our kitchen tables, part of our families, friends. Our beloved Boyers and Eglies have borne the brunt of that, I think, this year. They've lost so many. They've said goodbye to a mom and a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, a beloved uncle, and friends. It seems like all year long. Every time I speak to them, someone has passed. But they're not alone in it. Ben said goodbye to his mom this year. Don said goodbye to his mom this year. Janet said goodbye to her mom this year. Kathy said goodbye to her dad this year. I did a quick look at the Akron Beacon Journal obituaries just in preparing for this. and I pulled it up and I noticed there was 174 wow, that's a lot of people for a year. And then I started looking, and I realized I don't think I was looking at a year. I think I was only looking at December. 174 names, I believe, just for December. And the interesting thing is they weren't all in their 90s. They weren't all in their 80s. There were some in their teens there. It wasn't that long ago that I spoke at the funeral of of, uh, Deanna Zancheski. She wasn't very old, 30s maybe. She had taken her own life because of the murder of her not-yet-teen daughter. No, it's not just old people. Hardly a day goes by that we don't read of another death in our area from a drug overdose. We're the drug capital of the world, it seems, around here. And the fact is, death comes to us all. And death is no respecter of age. Death is really no respecter of health. If you're sitting here this morning shutting these thoughts out and thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't really apply to me, you really need to stop that. Because it does. It applies to us all. All of us will face death. It may be right around the corner. There are still a few minutes left in 2017. And there are still some who will not make it to the end of the year. And yet, amazingly, you and I are still here. We're still here. For some reason, we have been given more time. Every new year that comes around, we ought to think, God has spared me for another year. Why? There were many that didn't get that opportunity. But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Spared for one more year. Let me share four thoughts about this parable that maybe will help us to see what Jesus has for us this morning. The first thought is this. God has provided what you need. God has provided everything that you need so that you might be fruitful, so that you might bear fruit. Think about it. The fig tree was in his vineyard. It was therefore sheltered and secure. It had had everything provided. Everything was provided that was needed to produce fruit. And by application, he's done exactly the same for you. He desires fruit from you, and the fruit he desires is twofold. In the first place, that desired fruit is your repentance and salvation. And if you study this out and you read the verses just prior to this, you'll see that's the context 
in which Jesus was speaking here. Uh, he desires the fruit of repentance and salvation. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants you saved. And he wants you with him in eternity. His, he sent his only son to make it so. He has given you every opportunity. He has provided you with everything you need that you might see your need, repent, and be saved. If you're not yet saved, if you're not yet born again, if you're not yet certain of your eternity in heaven, then that is what this parable means to you. That is the application to you. You've been spared another year because he yet desires to see you come to him. But in the second place, He desires the fruit of your life lived for him. And that's the Christian's fruit, the person who has already turned over their life to Jesus Christ and been saved. There's yet fruit to be born. The fruit of a life lived in relationship with Christ, your Savior, and in the service of Christ, your King. The believer who turns their life over to Christ and then goes merrily on their way, living as they've always lived doing what they always did, going where they always went, watching what they've always watched, listening to what they've always listened to, basically being what they always were. That person needs to pay attention to this parable because he wants the fruit of your life lived for him. And whether he's saved or lost, whichever of those applications applies to you, he has provided everything that you need in order to succeed at it, everything that you need in order to bear that fruit. Some of you have been under the sound of Bible preaching and gospel teaching for for years, maybe most of your life. Think about some of the ways that God has provided for you. He's placed you in a country where you can hear the gospel preached. There are countries today and there are people today who do not have any idea of any of these things. They have never heard one word of this. But you and me, we have, been preached, we have been placed in a country, the United States of America, where we are free to hear the Word of God, to preach the Word of God. I, I know this country is not what it once was. I know that uh, there are all kinds of signs that these freedoms are eroding and, and in some ways already eroded, but praise God we're still free to preach the truth. And believe me, those who love Jesus are going to preach it anyway, whether the government tells us we can or not, whether our culture thinks it's stupid or not, we're going to keep right on preaching it. But right now we're free. Every place you go, you can hear the Bible freely preached. He's prepared that for you. He has so ordered and arranged your life that you would hear the gospel and hear Bible preaching and teaching you personally, perhaps many times. I love the prayer that our brother Fred, where's Fred at? Sit back there. I love the prayer that our brother Fred prays so often in our Wednesday night prayer meetings. He almost always prays it, and he almost always prays it with tears. He says, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that my parents took me to church. And I always get choked up when I hear him pray it. Because I can't help think of another fellow I know who, throughout his entire adult life, takes every opportunity he can to criticize his parents for how strict they were and how they made him go to church and how he had to be in church every time the doors were open. And he'll say this, you know, with great criticism of his parents the whole time he's sitting in church, oblivious to the fact that he's there to a large extent because they loved him enough to take him to church. And then, of course, I also recall 
that he spends an awful lot of time giving prayer requests for his adult children today who want nothing to do with God. You see, you're blessed if God has so ordered your life that you have been placed in a place, whether it's because parents cared enough about you or friends or whatever, you, you, you've been given the opportunity to hear over and over the truth. Praise God. He has provided for you. You could bring no offering sufficient to save your soul, and so he provided one. He provided the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Remember that old story in the, in the Old Testament in Genesis, the story of Abraham and Isaac? God wanted to test Abraham's faith, and so he told him to take your son, your only son Isaac, and take him up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there to me. We can go and read that, but you can look it up on your own. And, of course, we know the truth. God didn't want him to actually sacrifice that boy. He wasn't after that. He was just looking to see where Abraham's heart was. And once he saw where his heart was, he stopped him. Abraham would have done it. That's how much he loved God. But God stopped him. And then, of course, there they were on a mountain without a sacrifice, with nothing. And so what did God do? He provided a lamb caught in the thicket. And that's what he did for us. That's what he did for us with Jesus Christ. We had nothing to offer. Even our best attempts were insufficient. All our righteousnesses were as filthy rags. And so he provided Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate provision, paid for your sin. Romans 5, 8, God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's how he's provided for you and for me. He's placed you in a church that takes the preaching and teaching of God's word seriously. I can tell you, as long as I'm here anyway, we're not going to try to compete with the big churches and their laser light shows and their uh, professional musicians and their rock star preachers. We can't. Although I have to say we're pretty stinking close with, with our minister of music. but We're just not going to do that. And I don't think we should do that. I don't think it's even right. I don't think it's biblical. The one thing that we do do in this church is we hold this book high. And that's the one thing that can truly help. What we do here is to teach and preach the Word of God. We try to teach it to everyone. To the little ones in the nursery, we have Sunday school classes to teach your kids. We have junior church for kids. We have a youth group for kids. We have multiple adult classes. All these things we've done because we want to proclaim the Word of God. Because we believe that can help. So, so, so God has provided. God has provided everything that you and I need in order to bear fruit. He has spared us another year that we might bear fruit. And he has provided everything to make that the case. The second thing I would point out to you from this parable is this. God has a right to expect fruit from you. He has a right to expect it. If you or I were to plant a garden, would we not be well within our rights to expect fruit from that garden? Would we not? My wife is a lover of everything gardening. When I first met her and drove into her driveway in Pennsylvania, I noticed almost immediately the shattered remnants of a greenhouse that was sitting to the right-hand side of the driveway. As I, as I drove in there and I asked her when I got up to the house, what's up with the greenhouse? With a quavering voice, she pointed out to me that the devastating snows of the previous year had wiped out her greenhouse. 
Well, of course, when we got married, I knew that I was going to have to replace that. And so we hadn't been together very long when I decided I would go out on Amazon and I'd find a greenhouse. And I found this little cheapy thing. I thought, well, it's, it's not much, but it'll be a temporary thing. We'll at least get a few years out of it. And so we spent a weekend and we set that crummy little greenhouse up. She moved her thousands and thousands of greenhouse supplies into it. And then came, then came the winds of 2017. Anybody remember that windy time? I was at work and my phone dinged. I got a text. It said, the greenhouse is blowing away. I'm at work. What do you want me to do about it? I can't do a thing. So I ignored it and a little bit later I get another text. I'm trying to hold on to one corner of the greenhouse, and it's, it's blowing away, so then I run to the other one. I ignored it. A few minutes later, I got a text that said, the greenhouse is, is shredding. It's in pieces. And a little bit later, I get this sad, forlorn text. I think it probably had a little frowny face on it. It said, the greenhouse is gone. And when I got home, the greenhouse was hanging in an oak tree. And, of course, you know, I bought her another greenhouse and set it up for her. And I didn't fool around with Amazon this time and buy some little t- cheapy thing. I, hopefully the one that we put up this time would withstand the wind. But the fact is it's full of what she loves. And hopefully much fruit will be produced from that garden because that's what she wants. That's what she expects, fruit from her garden. And likewise, God has a right to expect fruit from you. In the first place, he has a right to expect you to turn to him in repentance and receive the salvation that he offers. And in the second place, he has a right, Christian, to expect expect that you will live a fruitful life serving him. Has he seen that in you? It is his right. It is his demand. And now he has spared you for yet another year that he might receive the fruit that he deserves and that he desires and that he demands. He answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, one more year, until I dig around this and fertilize it. Third thing I would point out to you is this. God's justice decrees that fruitless trees be cut down. Look at verse number 7. Three words there. You ought to circle in your Bible. Cut it down. Cut it down. From the vineyard owner's viewpoint, there is no simpler and more cost-effective solution than that. Cut it down. If you are still a fruitless fig tree in God's vineyard, do you not see that it would make perfect sense? Do you not see that it would be perfect justice to do away with you? Cut it down. What is the purpose of a fruitless fig tree? Why would anybody keep one around? Cut it down. Why waste any time at all on it? So the most obvious and just solution is to just eliminate it, cut it down. God's justice decrees that if we are unrepentant, continuing in sin, not turning to Christ for salvation, then we are under the penalty of death. The soul that sins, it shall die, Ezekiel chapter 18 says. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. Christian, this is not just a warning to the unbeliever who tarries in the matter of salvation. I believe the same thing applies the believer who just plays with their faith never gets around to bearing any fruit for God. I think God's patience wears thin on that as well. Cut it down. Describes the perfect justice of God. But there's another phrase in verse 7 which I think is interesting. It says, why does it use up the ground? Why does it use up the ground? Here's another reason that he wanted it cut down. It was taking up space 
that a more fruitful tree might occupy. Why should this tree get all the sunlight? Why should this tree get the soil that a fruit-producing tree could occupy? Have you considered what somebody else might do with your privileges and opportunities? The only reason you continue to breathe is that God wants you to turn to him and glorify him. If that doesn't happen, why should he continue to let you take up space? Why not cut it down? Why not make room for another tree that would produce the desired fruit? Why does it use up the ground? That brings me to another point, another thought from this passage. That is this. There is one who intercedes for you in your fruitlessness. There is one who intercedes. You might well ask, preacher, in light of all this, why doesn't he cut us all down? And it's a valid question. I'm not just preaching to you this morning. I'm preaching to me. What stays the hand of his perfect justice? All of us are in some way guilty of fruitlessness. Perhaps some of you this morning have never trusted Christ. Perhaps you've used up the ground for a long time. Why, when you refuse to repent of your sin and turn to Christ, doesn't he cut you down? I have a friend I've prayed for and witnessed to for all my adult life. He's now in his 80s. Many of you know who exactly who I'm talking about. He's nearing the end of his life. Why doesn't God just cut him down? Why does he allow him to continue to use up the ground? Some of you have loved ones and friends who are in similar states, hearing that Jesus died for them. They smile and ignore the implications to their life. They ignore the one who died for them. They joke about their sin and lifestyle. They openly flaunt their rebellion every single Lord's Day as they worship every other God this world has to offer, while ignoring the God who fills their very lungs with holds every molecule of their being together just by his pleasure. Why have you lost person been spared another year? I think our good friend Spurgeon provides the answer. You can always get away with quoting Spurgeon. He said, why is it that this tree has not been cut down? The answer is because there is one who pleads for sinners. There is one who pleads for sinners. Hear the words of the Savior here, my friend, sir. Let it alone this year also. Let it alone one more year. Give him one more year, Jesus pleads for me, for you. Let, let me continue to work in his life. Let me continue to call out to her. Let me plead with them just a little longer, perhaps, with just a little more effort they will be. Well, that's an amazing thought to me, is it to you? Jesus pleads for you. He intercedes For you, he prays for you. He spends time now as your advocate, your go-between, working on your behalf, staying the hand of the vineyard owner who would justly cut you down. Make room for a better tree. God's perfect justice is seen in verse 7. God's perfect mercy is seen in verse number 8. You have an advocate. You have one who pleads your case before the throne of God. John said, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Paul told the Romans, who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He was even interceding on the cross when he prayed, Father, forgive them. And in the same way, he has interceded for you, and he has interceded for me throughout 2017. And he has spared us for another year. Point number four. In the end, all who remain fruitless are cut down. In the end, 
all who remain fruitless are cut down. Notice what he said in the last part of verse number 9. If it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that you can cut it down. Now We need to listen. We need to listen carefully to this part because this is the key to the entire passage. In light of God's long-suffering, in light of his mercy, his giving of more time, many grow complacent. Rather than take advantage of it, they grow complacent. There's plenty of time, we think. There's no need to worry about that now. I mentioned to my friend who keeps putting off salvation. One of the things that drives me crazy when I speak with him is uh, that when pressed about his need for salvation, he often responds with, I'm never going to die anyway. You're going to have to put up with me for a long time. He's not doing that quite as much anymore. That's always been his case. And I think he thinks it's lighthearted banter. I think he thinks he's just disarming the conversation. But it's indicative of a common thought amongst lost people. There's plenty of time. And as a result of the reprieve that the vineyard owner puts upon our life, he gives us time to repent. He gives us time to live for him. But rather than do that, we think it just gives us more time. More time. Solomon warned about this. I see Alex is with us this morning. His favorite verse, or his favorite book anyway, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse number 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. It doesn't matter how much time God gives you. The expectation is the same. For the unbeliever, the expectation is that you repent and turn to Christ and be saved, or die without repenting and turning to Christ and go to hell forever. There is no alternative. Jesus made it plain. He said just a few verses prior to what we're reading here. In verse number 3, he said, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And for the Christian, the expectation is you'll no longer live for this world, but for the one who died for you. Paul said to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Those who remain fruitless will be cut down. And yet, glory to God, he has spared you, and he has spared me for another year. So what shall we say then to these things? As we come to the end of 2017 and launch our ships, First of all, I don't know about you, but I think we ought to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Some ought to, I think, ought to be playing to this altar this morning, thankful for the opportunity to be saved before it is too late. Thankful that in spite of all the lost opportunity, all the times that we've ignored the chances to trust Christ, he's given us another chance. And I think some ought to be doing the same thing, kneeling here, thanking him that in spite of time wasted so far living for this world, he's given us more time to start living for him. Some parents ought to come and kneel here with their children, thanking God for another year to point them toward the Savior and train them in the things of God. We do have a family coming this morning to dedicate their little son to the Savior, to promise before God and this company, They will do everything in their power to help raise that child to the glory of God. Some might have ignored that kind of thinking or at least procrastinated about it. And maybe this would be the day that you come 
deal and thank Jesus for another year to make it right, another year to influence them for him. We ought to say thank you, Jesus. And then the second thing we ought to do is we ought to say, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry that I haven't turned to you in repentance and faith before now. I have heard the gospel. Never responded to it. I know I'm lost. And I want to be saved. I'm sorry that I've waited. But I receive you now as my Savior. You know, this oversight is not something to trifle with. It's not. You may not have another year. And if you've procrastinated about this, if you thought, I'll do, do this later, you need to do it now. Some Christians need to say, I'm sorry for my worldliness, for my desire that remains in this world and the things of this world and the, and the, and the fact that I'm not living for you. He's given you another year, Christian. Take advantage of it. We sang it earlier. I close with it. Another year is dawning. Dear Father, let it be in working or in waiting another year with thee. Another year of progress. Another year of praise. Another year of proving thy presence all the days. Another year of mercies, of faithfulness and grace. Another year of gladness in the shining of thy face. Another year of leaning upon thy loving breast. Another year of trusting, of quiet, happy rest. Another year of service, of witness for thy love. Another year of training for holier work above. Another year is dawning. Dear Father, let it be on earth or else in heaven. Another year.